This is for the free thinkers, the curious beings that swim upstream, who see possibilities, not problems, that learn from the past, live by the present, and create the future. This is the I Love Ugly Audio Show. On this episode, we sit down with one of the most well-respected figures in world rugby, Sir Graham Henry. For those that don't know him, he is credited with rebuilding the All Blacks legacy into what it is today and is regarded as one of the most successful sports coaches in history. Now, for those that aren't interested in rugby, I know what you're thinking, that you don't want to listen to me talk about rugby for an hour, and neither did I. So I took a completely different angle to avoid just talking about rugby. We lift the hood on how he managed to build one of the greatest sports teams in history, and why and how he wanted to be the greatest of all time why setting audacious goals is so essential, and why mental health has become so prevalent in today's society. This episode is a goldmine of valuable information for sports fans, leaders, entrepreneurs, or anybody wanting to build an influential culture or make something of themselves. It kicks in around the five minute mark where we really start to get going, and it's gonna take you for a journey. Enjoy. Uh, Graham Henry, welcome to the show. I can appreciate you're a busy man, especially with the World Cup going on, and yeah, you're all the pretty pretty diabolical at the moment, I can imagine. But um, so appreciate your time. But um, can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with yourself nowadays? That All Blacks is kind of no longer in your life. What am I doing? Yeah, what are you doing with yourself nowadays? I'm trying to enjoy life. Yeah, as yeah. much as possible. Getting into trouble sometimes, trying to enjoy life. Yeah. Um, no, I, I speak a lot. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. Not as much as I used to. So I'm on the circuit, yep. if you like. Um, I do some consulting yep. with some companies in town. And I, I've just been consulting with the Canadian rugby team. Yep. It was a freebie, by the way. Because <laughs> um, I know the coach and he asked me if I'd have a look what they were doing. We've got a place in Waiheke. Mm-hmm. We've got a place here. They're just sitting in right now. <laughs> And we've got five grandkids, three kids and five grandkids, so... Keep you busy. That, that keeps us busy. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of travel. Yeah. Um, so we've been to Alaska this year. So we did a, a, our first cruise. There was a lot of old people on this cruise. <laughs> so we did our first cruise from um, Vancouver to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to Europe next year. Going back to Japan in a couple of weeks. Nice. So, you know, life's good. Enjoying life? Nah, that's great. So consulting, when you're consulting with businesses, and what are you, what are you consulting them on? Is it more leadership stuff, culture oh, stuff? It's mainly, it's mainly people development. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a bit about culture, but mainly young guys, young people, and just talking to them about what they're doing and how they're developing, and, yep. and just my thoughts about that, and yep. the culture of the company, and working together, and, mm. and getting the best out of each other. Mm. Yeah, so do you, do you feel now, just after your experience as a, as a coach, you have the ability to, say, go into an organisation and pretty quickly identify what the problems are? Oh, no, you don't do that. Like, um, well, usually I, I've talked to most companies in New Zealand now, yeah. and you're just talking about um, the All Blacks. Yeah. Because pretty topical and people are pretty very interested in what their culture's like. Mm. A group of us changed the All Black culture a few years ago, mm. and so we just talk about that. Uh, what what the it's a set of behaviours that the, yep. that the All Blacks live by. That's yep. the culture, 
And you talk about how that's led mm. by the team mm. and the leadership group. Um, you talk about people development, handling, mm. ha handling anxiety, handling stress, mm. handling expectation. Yep. Um, and you're using the All Blacks as an example. But, but you learn those things. Like I was a, in education for 25 years. Mm. Uh, last 10 years as a headmaster of Kelson Boys High School mm. that you know of. Yeah. And and it's and it's pretty similar. Yeah, you know, it's you're trying to you're trying to ensure the guys enjoy that experience. Mm. Believe it or not, enjoy their educational experience. Develop not only academically but develop holistically. Mm. Uh, so they leave school as pretty positive people. That's what you're trying to do. And mm. it's the same with the All Blacks. Basically, mm. they grow as people when they're in the All Blacks. Obviously, Obviously, you want them to be very good rugby players, but you also want them to grow as people and take ownership of the team and take leadership opportunity and that sort of thing. Mm. And if you can grow the people, you can grow the team, mm. basically. And it's the same in any business. Mm. So if you've got a group of people who have taken ownership of that business and they're growing and getting better, that business is going to improve. Mm. I guess it's similar to your business. Yeah, I 100% agree. And that was going to be one of my questions as well, is the... You know, you go from headmastering a school of, I don't know what it was, a thousand pupils, obviously there's a lot of moving parts, to transitioning into coaching the All Blacks, you know, a group of professional men that are there to do a job with pressures of, you know, the whole the whole nation watching them and expecting a lot of them. Mm. So what was what was that transition like going from, you know, being a headmaster into, into the, obviously there's a lot of steps before that, but what's the transition like and what's the similarities? I know you touched on it a little bit. But if you could kind of dive dive a little bit deeper. Well, I was, you know, I was in education for 25 years, but while I was there, I was coaching rugby. Yeah. Amateur. Yeah. Uh, the game went professional in 96. That's the year I left Kelston Boys High School. Yeah. And was that a passion of yours? You were just passionate about rugby? For so, sure. Yeah. So I was, I was passionate about the game, but I was passionate about coaching. I was yep. a phys ed teacher, mm -hmm. right? And it was an extension of the job, basically. Yep. <clears throat> so I coached rugby and cricket at school. Um when I was first teaching, and, and I got very passionate about rugby coaching. I was ambitious at it. Mm -hmm. And I saw I was an amateur coach, coached Auckland in the early 90s. And to get there, I coached Auckland Grammar School, uh, Otago, sorry, Auckland University, and, and some junior rep teams, under 20 Bs, As. So I'd been going on for 25 years before I um, before I became a professional coach, yep. so it was part of what I did. Yep. Um, and I was I was ambitious. I wanted to be a I wanted to be the All Black coach. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds very arrogant, but no, I, I, I wanted to be All Black coach in the nineteen seventies. I yep. finished up All Black coach in two thousand and four. So it was a wee bit of a wait. Yep. Um, and you know, so you learn about rugby coaching and coaching men and running a school at the same time. Yep. The transition from an amateur coach to a professional coach was was pretty seamless because I yeah. was coaching Auckland in 95. The game went professional in 96. I was coaching the Blues in 96. So I was just, it was just another job. I was mm -hmm. still coaching Auckland, but I was coaching the Blues in professional rugby. And then I went to Wales and coached the Welsh in the British Isles, yep. the British Lions. Um, and then came back in 2004, got the All Blacks. So there was a bit of a gap between mm, finishing of course. finishing secondary school as a headmaster in 96 to, yep. 
for coaching the All Blacks in 2004. Yep. Um, what's the difference? I think you just, you, you, you're, you're there for everybody to see. You yeah. know, you, there's no hiding when you're yeah, a coach. The results are obvious. Yeah. <laughs> and the way the guys play is obvious. Yeah. Not nearly as a responsible job as, as running a school. Mm, well. I, I had 1,250 boys at Kelson Boys High School, 110 staff. That's a big job. That's a big job. Right? Yeah. And a lot of responsibility because you... And uh, boys. Young boys. So. Well, yeah. yes, no girls in Kelson Boys High School. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, that is a very big responsibility. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed that responsibility, enjoyed that job. And, but I had a passion for rugby coaching. And also they paid you a bit more, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> and so I, when, I, when I left, I, I was the headmaster at Kelson in 96, coached the Blues and Auckland. Wow. The game was professional then, I had to make a decision, which wasn't an easy decision to make. And so I, I became a full-time professional coach in 97. Right, I got that right, I think, yeah. in 97. And um, I had a big learning curve once I became a professional coach. I wanted to coach the All Blacks then. They didn't think I was good enough, yeah. which is fine. I went overseas and coached the Welsh for three and a half seasons and also coached the British and Irish Lions. Mm -hmm. So I was in Wales from 98 to 2002, coached the Lions in 2001. Those two experiences were fab fabulous for me. Mm How -hmm. so? How's that? Well, I had to change. Yeah. You know, the way I was coaching, or the way I was managing the team, if you like, as head coach, um, wasn't right for 2000. It was probably right in 1980, mm -hmm. and maybe right in 1990, but it wasn't okay going forward, because the young guys you coach change. You know, they're different personalities. They go through a different education system. Mm -hmm. They want more say in what they're doing. Yeah. Like you could tell, young men in the 1970s and 1980s what to do, and they yes sir, we'll do that. <laughs> but it, you had to get them involved in their own coaching. So that's the thing I learned from the Welsh experience. It wasn't about me, it was mm -hmm. about them and getting them involved and, 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 and running, that, running their teams. Yep. So that's how we changed. We changed from a coach-driven environment to a team-driven environment uh, where there was, say, six oldies like me, Mm -hmm. and seven players and they joined together and ran the team yeah so that's what i'm talking about about a team driven environment mm. and all the guys in the team were consulted right mm -hmm. and so the big the big change was they took ownership yeah young young men took ownership of the team they played in mm -hmm. and that wasn't the case in the years prior mm. So that's the big change. Interesting. And then going back to goals, and you mentioned that it may sound arrogant, but you wanted to be an All Blacks coach. What's your what, What's your view on goals and goal setting and how important do you think they are? And were you always a goal-orientated person? Yeah, probably. I think, yeah. I think the short answer is. Because a lot of people don't like, I've found a lot of people don't like to say, you know, be out, you know, open about their goals because they do feel it's arrogant, but I feel it's... I well, I think, you know, I think, um, I think a bit of obsession is good. Yeah. You're probably obsessed by your business. Yeah. And yeah. Making, it, making it successful. Yeah, you live and breathe it. You have yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And so you have little, little, little challenges on the way you run over the top of those things. Mm. If you're obsessed and you're passionate mm. about it. So true. 
uh, whereas some other people may get tripped over by those little challenges and say it's too hard, mm. right? And so I think being obsessed, my wife calls me obsessed, <laughs> probably Andrew does too, um, obsessed with rugby <clears throat> coaching helped me get over some adversity. Because when you, when you want to be all black coach and you want to try and be the best coach in the world, and that's what you try and do, yeah, of course. whether you make it or not, yeah. It's probably immaterial, and you shouldn't be judging that anyway. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be the best, you you're just going to have to you're going to have to put up with some difficult times. Yeah, indeed. And you learn from if you don't learn from those times, you you're buggered, for want of a better statement. Yeah. So um, I think obsession or passionate about what you're doing is absolutely critical if you're going to make it, because mm. there is going to be some times when when life's bloody difficult. Mm. Yeah, I think that's some sound advice. And have you found, have you found that the players that you've coached and uh, that have been in your environments, the ones that have really risen above the others, are the ones that are more goal orientated or are driven by their obsession to be the best? Yeah, I think that's probably right. But the guys who, probably the most successful players when I was coaching, like McCaw and Carter and Conrad Smith and Brad Thorne and those sort of guys. Um, they had other things going on in their lives. Yeah. So it wasn't just rugby. Mm -hmm. So they had other interests, like Richie McCaw was a pilot. Like he, he flew gliders initially. Yeah, I saw that in the docker. Yeah, gliders and then planes and now helicopters. Yeah. Daniel Carter's always been involved in, in, in fashion. Mm -hmm. He's got an interest in that. People want to use him yeah. uh, to front their, their product. So he's got a good business alongside his rugby playing business. Yep. So the Dan Carter model, if you like, that's not, probably not the right word, image, <laughs> help me, um, is probably, you know, it's very important for him. And he's very successful at promoting himself. Mm. Um, Conrad Smith was a lawyer, right? Didn't play any rep rugby of note before he became an All Black, you know, in the, through mm -hmm. the greats. Mm -hmm. So I just think the guys who are the most successful are, are passionate, but also passionate about self-improvement, mm. the holistic thing. Yes. Um, development as a person. Yeah. And um, I think that's been pretty critical. Mm, great. Yeah, that's a real good segue into the conversation because obviously, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know when you start to take over and implement you know, culture change, you guys hired a, a psychologist, I believe, for the All Blacks. Is that, or someone, was it a psychologist you guys hired just to help with the players' mindsets? And Yeah, yeah, no, we, yeah. there's a guy named Gilbert Anoka, I think. He's, yes, he's that's the, the one. guy you're probably talking yes, about. Yes, yep. Uh, like Gilbert started with me. Mm -hmm. He had a wee bit to do with the All Blacks prior to me. So working with you personally? No, no, your... no, working with the team. Yes, yeah. Work with me personally, but work with yep, the team. Yep. <laughs> he, was, he was in the management group. Uh, he's still there, um, and he was a he was another Fazetta. Fazettas are taken over the world. Yeah, and he did a did a psychology degree at Canterbury University part time while he was while he's a school teacher, mm -hmm. and got into sports psychology. Played volleyball for New Zealand, believe it or not. Interesting. Um, reasonable rugby player, <laughs> and so he got involved in in with us, Wayne Smith and Steve Hansen and myself and Darren Shand and, 
and the rest of the management group and, and the senior players and changing that culture. And he was the guy who drove it. Mm -hmm. Like I was there to coach the game. Yeah, but you're obviously very pro it. Oh, hell yes. Um, yeah. You know, from those experiences in Wales and with the British and Irish Lions, yeah. I knew change had to happen. I yeah. knew I, I had to change. <coughs> so um, he was one of the first guys I wanted to appoint yeah. as in the management team. So he drove the cultural change. Yeah. His responsibility was the development of people mm -hmm. and, and driving that cultural change. Um, and other things, but yeah. initially that was his job. Hmm. And what were what were some of the key culture changes that made from what he made, and then what was what was kind of going on prior that you that you guys really wanted to shift, or especially what he really wanted to shift? Well, sim simply and briefly, um, we wanted to change it from a coach-driven environment to a team-driven environment. Okay. Uh, we didn't like some of the things that were happening in the team. Yeah. And so we wanted to change those things. Mm -hmm. So we we got together with a group of senior players and senior management, which became the senior, which became the, the leadership group. Yeah. And those people set the purpose. Yeah. And the purpose in my time was to be the goat, mm -hmm. the greatest of, greatest all, time. of all time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so you don't you don't talk to people about that. Yeah. Only it's, it's internal, if you like. Yeah. And then we say, okay, if you want to be the greatest All Black team of all time, mm. what do you need to do to yeah, of that to happen? Yeah. So from that leadership group, we talked about humility. Yeah. Which really means you keep your feet on the ground. You realise where you're at. Yeah. And you realise that you need to improve if you're going to be the goat. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. So every so humility was about um, better never stops. Mm. Striving to for self improvement. Yeah, if you we've got that in, on the wall in our offices. Yeah, so if stops. you walk into the All Black camp, you can feel that drive for improvement. Yeah, team improvement, individual improvement, integrity was another one of the cultural values, if you like. Mm. Do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, don't bullshit. Yeah, make yeah. sure it happens. Yeah, um, uh, team first. Mm. Obviously, so you know the black jersey with a silver fern is very special, yes. and to value that jersey and uh, whoever's worn that jersey before you, and your job to be the goat was to fill that jersey up more yep. than it's ever been filled up before. Yeah. So really, a really a great emphasis on on the on the why the team was very important and mm. why the team had to come first. And your job in enhancing that jersey, you know, the haka mm. is part of that. Yep. So while I was there, they they introduced a second haka. Mm -hmm. We introduced a second haka. So we got a Maori tutor in to help us, mm -hmm. who was helping us anyway, with our with our current with kamati, making mm -hmm. sure we did it right. Yep. And then they introduced a second haka, which represented all the different cultures in the team, mm -hmm. all the different uh, nationalities, if you like. So. Maori, European, Tongan, Fijian, Samoan, I think I've covered it all. And so the boys talked about what was important in their culture and we incorporated that into a new haka called Kaparo Pongu, which you probably see today, Yes, often. And often that's a team call, which haka they use. So the Kamati was a haka that has been there for 120 years. <coughs> the new haka, 
um, is, was developed in, I think, 2006, I could be wrong, five, six. So it's only been here for 10 years or so. So, and it's very special for the boys because mm. they, and they know what they're doing in those hackers. They know what it means, what it represents, yeah. you know, and, and the second hacker. So that's part of this team driven culture. Mm, you know, team first, and the hackers part of that. Um, solution focused. Yeah. Find the find the solution. Mm. Don't have any excuses, right? Yep. If you can't find the solution, there'll be people there who can help you find the solution. Absolutely. Um, team driven. So that's th those cultural things. Those things I've just said are driven by the team. Mm. They take responsibility. Um. So that was set up by that leadership group in 2004. Wow. Okay, that's fine-tuned all the time. But, and then they discuss it with the, with the players and mm -hmm. get buy-in and that becomes how you live. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, but that leadership group <coughs> meets on a very regular basis. Off-season when they're not together probably four or five times when they're together every week, mm. two or three times a week. And they run the team, mm. so it's not not Steve Hansen running the team. Yeah, it's this group of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. as you said, the player buy-in is what what you need mm. in order for the whole thing to operate. And did you did you find that when this when these new set of values were introduced into the team, because a group of players or certain players that didn't really like it or they were resistant to it, resistant to change? Because I know that you're also very big on change and saying that change is important. So we're very well, if you don't change, you don't get better. Yeah. If you carry on the same, you're going to go get the same result. So if you yes, if you want to be the goat, uh, you've got to change. Yeah. Um, so now, well, like we had some initial differences with some of the guys in the leadership group. So initially, the leadership group of the All Blacks was 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 voted on mm -hmm. by the players. Yeah. And we had too many too many leaders. <clears throat> And we changed it pretty quickly because it, it wasn't gelling. Mm -hmm. So we appointed the leaders with a discussion with the captain. And, um, and that was the best thing we'd ever did. Wow. So we, we appointed people who we thought would lead well. Mm -hmm. And they probably led in their franchises and their provincial teams anyway. Mm. Um, and once we got the right people leading the group, it was reasonably plain sailing. Mm, long, long as you kept on winning. When you lost, it was a bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you got a bit of attention when you lost, but that's that. You know, that was part of it. And every every three or four tests, we would set the objectives, strategy, and so it was, it was real time stuff. Yep. So it was always in front of the guys. Mm. You know, this is what was, is expected. So it wasn't something that was dreamed up in 2004, put in the filing cabinet and yeah. forgotten about it. It was on the walls mm. and revisited every two or three tests. So mm. we chunked the season yeah. and readdressed. And that was our backbone, that culture and purpose. But we'd, we'd, if something in the culture wasn't functioning as well as it should be, that would be a focus for the next two tests. Wow. And, and strategy to beat Australia or the yeah. Springboks or whoever. Yeah. Um, and you know anything that we thought would enhance the group. Mm. So it was it was so it was constant real time stuff. Yeah. Um, and which I think was very important. Yeah. 
So as that, as that grew, you, you got a large number of the players taking ownership. You know, the leadership group was made up of seven players. <coughs> we also had guys who were in charge of certain areas of the game, like the line-out of the scrum or defence or attack or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so other guys took responsibility for that yep. with coaches and so on. Mm. And we also had individual operating units in the mm -hmm. team, seven of them. Seven? Yeah. And they were led by somebody different from the leadership group. Mm -hmm. So an individual operating unit might have been the back three. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, the fullback and two wingers. Yeah. Right? And they'd meet once a week to say, how can we enhance our performance for the weekend? Wow. And so, and somebody would lead that. And they were in a group of, say, the World Cup group now, 31. There might have been five in each of those groups. So the centres, the halves, and so on. So constantly trying to give them responsibility to grow people. Mm. So they took ownership of the team. Mm. And um, I think it's just like any good business. Yep. The more ownership people will take, mm -hmm. the better they will perform. Mm -hmm. So the more skin they've got in the action, the better they will perform. Absolutely. And it will just compound if everybody's working on themselves and taking on board collectively, yeah. that's going to produce huge results as well. So Exactly. So, um, you know, so that's that's how the All Blacks function, basically. Yeah. That's amazing. I think a lot of people probably don't realise that. They just think they train hard, go on the field, do the business, and they're just good at the game. But there's a lot of moving parts and there's yes. a lot of things which they practice in private. Which they well, well, recently they changed the purpose recently, a few years ago, uh, to the best sporting team in the world. Yeah, I love that. And and nobody knew about that either until mm -hmm. a reporter walked got into their into their team room in London somewhere. Yeah. And saw it on the wall. Uh, which they were a bit upset about. But again, you know, best sporting team in the world. How do we become the best sporting team in the world? Yeah. How do you become the best clothing manufacturer or best yeah. menswear store in the world. Yeah. It's and a great so it, it focuses people. Yes. That purpose. And they've been nominated for the Laureate Team of the Year four times. So wow. the best team in the world. Wow. Four times. And they've won it once and no other sporting team has done that. Mm. So they're getting there. Wow. That's yeah. But you don't get there unless the the players and the management walk the talk, walk mm. the culture, yes. live by the culture. Yeah. And and in the main, that's what's happening. Yeah. You have a few hiccups. Yeah. Uh, which always get in front page of the newspaper. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, those things are going to happen. Yeah, of course. Just in our business, in the rugby business, it gets front page of the papers. If it happens yeah. in your business, nobody knows about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the whole weight of the nation isn't on our shoulders, but for the All Blacks, yeah, it is, yeah, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, and did you feel as a head coach that you had to carry a lot of this pressure and be a real example to the rest of the team? Because um, I know that every chokehold, the chokehold of most businesses and sports teams is, is the leader. You know, if they're slumped and they're not living, living these values, then, yeah, that's gonna, there's going to be a trickle-down effect. But did you feel for yourself there's a pressure? Yeah, you're quite good at this stuff, aren't you? <laughs> huh? You've done uh, it before. No, I've only done four of them. Oh, yeah. okay. No, I'm no, just, you're I'm just right. interested. So, so I think part of the deal is that when you're in those positions, you start thinking pretty bloody seriously about how you do it. Yeah. 
right? And um, so your self-analysis, I think, is pretty very important. Mm -hmm. So how do you become the best you can become? Mm. I know it sounds pretty arrogant, but that's oh, that's that's the deal. I ask myself that every day. So that's the deal, you know. And 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 if you stuff up as a role model, because you are the role model, yep. one of them. Uh, it, it's very hard to resurrect that, mm. to get that back. Because you might have done that for two years and you've been pretty squeaky and you've done a good job. Yeah. And all of a sudden you you do something you shouldn't do and it, you just lose it. You lose that that respect. Mm. Uh, you lose because um, you're not walking the talk. Mm -hmm. You're not doing what you expect other people to do. Mm-hmm. So I think being a role model is hugely important. Yeah. And did you do you work a lot on your mindset and how do you how you do it? Just keeping your your mind and just sharp and focused. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I had to exercise a lot. Yeah. So the more I exercised, the better I felt. Yeah. And the better I felt mentally. Mm. So the, I think there's a very strong connection between the physical and the mental. Yes, I agree. And. Um, and even your diet, particularly early in the day, when you want to be on the job and sharp yeah. and doing a bloody good job and connecting well with people, um, I think that's very important. Mm. Like obviously you, you, you work hard, do the business, you know, and the harder you work, the better you are, I think. Yeah. But just getting yourself in a physical and mental state that you can function at the best you can, I think it's very important. Mm. And I wonder how many people actually think about that. Yeah, I don't think a lot do. Yeah, so, you know, I think those sort of things are very important. Yeah. Having met good mentors, Yeah. having a, an assessment system that assesses you and what, how you're doing the job. Mm. Wow. So we had an assessment system in the All Blacks where the management would assess each other. And you, were, you guys were just transparent and honest? Just well, it, was. it wasn't always easy. Yeah, it's not. No, it's not easy. So we, we finished up having a system, keep doing, stop doing, start doing. Yeah. So keep doing these things, stop doing these things, and mm. think about doing these things. And I think that was a, a way of softening it. Yeah. Because you just needed to get a good result on that. Yes. Our mentors were very important to me. You know, I had some very good people that I could connect with. Yeah, who were some of your mentors? Well, John Graham, who was who was yep. an ex-All Black. Have you yep. heard of John Graham? Yes. He's yep. no longer with us, sadly. Yep. Uh, who was headmaster of Auckland Grammar School. Mm -hmm. Now, I was a young teacher at Auckland Grammar School. I was in the eighth form at Auckland Grammar School. Yeah. Right? And so there was a lot of us in the eighth form. You know, guys in, our tw in their 20s, mid-20s, late-20s, who um, John Graham assisted greatly. Mm -hmm. A lot of those people became secondary school headmasters, principals, probably yep. the right term. You know, there would have been, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 young people when I was at grammar, went on and become secondary school principals. Um, he taught me at school, mm -hmm. John Graham. Yeah. He asked me to come and teach in his school. He gave me opportunity, just like just like the rugby, just like the All Blacks, giving young people an opportunity to... to develop as a as mm. an individual, not mm. only as a sportsman and an athlete, yes. but as a person. And John Graham did those things. Yeah. And he did those things for me. I've you know, this, the best phone call I ever had was when he rang me and said, Would you want to would you like to come and work in my school? Huh. 
Um, I didn't know it at the time, but yeah. looking back, it was very important. Yeah. Um, and there's other guys. Um, also, you know, I think just concentrating on the big rocks is important. Yeah. You know, what are the, what's the things that are going to make this business the best it can be? Mm. The goat. Yeah. The best in the world. Yeah. Right? And I think if you're trying to touch too many things, um, it dissipates the effectiveness. Yeah, agree. So what are what are the big rocks that are going to make this this business really tick? Yeah. Don't get involved in sideshows. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a family show, is it? No, um, not at all. <laughs> don't get involved in things that don't matter. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people spend too much time talking about other people, and you know. Yeah. I can't stand that rubbish. Yeah. Um, so, yes. That, that sort of stuff. So yeah. I think you need a personal um, philosophy of how you're going to do a job. Yeah. And 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 you think very very seriously about that. Self analysis. Where am I at? What can I get better? Ask your ask your guys you work with. Mm. Ask your mentors. Mm. Um, be prepared to change. Mm. If you don't change, you're not going to get better. Yeah. Um, I could go on. Yeah, no, nah, it's oh, this is honestly golden. I know our audience is going to get a lot of value. I'm, I'm loving this. So, yeah, what um, what advice would you give to someone that is, you know, they do want to be the goat in their field, whether it be sports, business, or whatever, and you know they know that they're gonna, they need to seek some advice from some certain people, some mentors. Like how, how would you recommend these people go about seeking these people out? Because a lot of people do have blocks about that which I find interesting. Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, I think you've got to find a field that you're passionate about and go yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're here for a few years. Mm. So you might be here for 90 years. I'm bugging if I know. Yeah. But you're here for a few years. Might as well make it good. Yeah. I might always be the best you can be. Yeah. Like they might not tick everybody's, you know, might not yeah. ring everybody's bell, but I don't know. Um, so... I think you've you've got to find an area that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. and um, and then get into the right environment. Yeah, I think making good decisions about where you're going to go is important. Yeah, whether you're going to work for company X or company Y or whatever, and do some homework and make sure that you're going to be developed in that company. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's some very good companies, and I would imagine there's some not so good company. Absolutely. And you've got to make good decisions if you're going yeah. to be the best you can be. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I had three or four mentors who were all different, but um, all very helpful. Yeah, how often would you speak to them? I wasn't formal. Yeah, yeah, of course. I you just pick up the phone if you I had a query. I didn't or... say, look, I want a mentoring session tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And you fit me in. So yeah. it just... It was just happens. Yeah. And I'd go and see John Graham after I'd finished. He actually coached Auckland with me. Mm -hmm. So he was my assistant. Yeah. Um, for a couple of years. Um, but I always had contact with him. Yeah. And if I thought I, I if I had a, a challenge, if you like, mm -hmm. I, I might go and have a Steinlager pure with him, <laughs> sit down with him, have a chat, and, yeah. and just chat it through because. The more you chat about these things, the greater clarity you get. Absolutely. And if you get 
people with wisdom, and he had wisdom. Yeah. He was much older than me. Yeah. And he'd been through a lot of experiences. You mentioned in an interview I read that uh, a philosophy your team had was the unexpected is always going to happen, so expect it to happen. And I think you said something about, you know, Dan Carter might snap a leg or so, you know, just making sure that you've always got things in place to prepare for the unexpected. And how have you seen this? Because I thought that was a quite a powerful philosophy and I really took away a lot of, away from it. But how do you think this philosophy has impacted the lives of players outside of the game and their per personal lives and seen them prosper because of it? Well, we brought, we brought that strategy into the All Blacks because of the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Yep. We got beaten in a quarter-final. Yep. And, um, against the French. Against the French. Yeah. And we couldn't handle the way the game was refereed. Yeah. So some of our guys froze. They choked on the field and we were like, we, we, we had an excuse. You can't have an excuse. Yeah. We couldn't handle the referee. So out of that 207, we were lucky to get reappointed. And so we brought in a strategy, the unexpected is, will happen, handle it. Mm. The unexpected will happen, handle it. So we got to the 211 World Cup and um, Daniel Carter rips the adductor tendon off the bone, kicking goals, and that was the unexpected. Yeah, That was the initial unexpected. But I don't think if, if we hadn't had that strategy, which was talked about a lot, and various scenarios, you know, losing a captain or red card or two red cards or whatever. So we didn't know what the unexpected was mm -hmm. going to be. So Carter was worth 20 points to us, yeah. 40, 25 points to us. He's out of the tournament. <coughs> no excuse mentality. So a guy named Colin Slade became number 10. Mm -hmm. He was in the squad. We had to bring Aaron Cruden in to replace Daniel Carter. Slade does the same thing in the next game. So we lose our two number 10s who, were, who started the Rugby World Cup in 2011. Mm -hmm. Then we got Beaver in, Steve Donald. And um, so we, those two things were very important. Uh, Richie McCaw had a broken metatarsal on his foot. Wow. Played, played for a month with a broken metatarsal. How did he do that? I've got no idea. Wow. Driven, passionate. Obsessed, yeah, all of those things, fantastic. Yeah. And um, so we we got over. Well, we smashed the French, yeah, eight seven. <laughs> we won it uh, despite some very difficult situations. Yeah. And I don't think we would have unless we had discussed in depth mm -hmm. that we we're going to go through some difficult times yeah. as a group of players if we wanted to win that Rugby World Cup. Yeah. And that's something we learned from 207, so you're growing, aren't you? We also learned about the top three inches yeah. and how we could make that better, all right? So our mental skills were pretty important. Oh. So we, we brought in a psychiatrist, Kerry Evans, his name is, mm -hmm. and he talked with the leadership group about um, choking and being on the job, yeah. right? So the choking, on one situation, what does the brain do when it chokes? Mm. What does the brain do when it's in the zone? Yep. We're functioning well. How do we stay in the zone, not mm. choke? Mm. And so we developed a, some breathing and some triggers to stay in the zone. Well, 
and we practiced that at training. So we put the guys under pressure, try to get them to lose it at training, start fighting and buggering around, yeah. choking, and, and to use the triggers huh. to stay in the, in the zone. Yeah. And we had names for those. Yeah. Um, so it just became like catch, pass, catch, you know, yeah. choke, zone, yeah. trigger, breathing. Absolutely. And you use a lot of those techniques for you as well, because I, because I know obviously after that loss to the French, you must have that would have been a huge rock, a huge boulder. How did you stay grounded? <coughs> How did you go through Badly. That adversity? You were sorry. Badly. Well, that that yeah. was the result from that, you know. So we, the unexpected strategy and the um, understanding brain biology mm -hmm. and developing the skills, the mental skills to handle expectation and pressure resulted from the French test yeah. in the Rugby World Cup in 2007. Um, I think you learn, you know, you, you become more durable, yeah. more resilient yeah. by going through those experiences. You hate them at the time, mm, but looking course. back, you think, what changed your life? Yeah. Those things change your life. Mm. They, can, they can destroy your bloody life. Of course. Uh, but we made it manage to survive and, and win. And I think those experiences in 2-7 have been the backbone of this rugby team for a long time. Wow. You know, won two Rugby World Cups and may win three. Yeah. But um, there's probably half the management still there that were with me in 2007. Mm -hmm. So most of the coaches and the management and Gilbert and Oak, as I said before, are all still there and and those experiences build a knowledge and some skills to mm -hmm. to go get better yeah yeah wow that's that's honestly uh, amazing just kind of hearing out i'm just feeling inspired probably like you boys as well that's, yeah i can see yeah. the boys are jumping out of their skin <laughs> yeah this guy's having cold sweats so yeah but you know being being one of the most successful coaches to one of the most successful sports team ever, you'll, you know, you can clearly distinguish, you know, um, you know, talent from, you know, special talent to other things. But anyway, my question is, is what do you think makes a great team or a great player? Is it just talent or is a lot of it mindset or even what's the percentage of balance? Obviously it's a bit of a loaded question, but what do you think it is? Is it like 50% skills, 50% mindset? Or do you think that the people that have less skills but are very ambitious and goal-driven rise above the others? What's your thoughts on that? Well, you've got to have some talent. Um, I hope the court, Richie didn't watch this. But Richie <laughs> wasn't the greatest um, athlete in the world or the highly skilled athlete. But he's probably the most influential player over the last 20 years that yep. played for New Zealand. And why? Because he was driven. Mm. Like he's the more, most driven guy I've ever seen, and he overcomes some adversities which he, which a normal human being wouldn't have overcome. So, playing in the two eleven Rugby World Cup with a broken metatarsal was was almost um, crazy, Ben. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the word. Almost insane. Yeah, insane will do. Thank you. <laughs> we'll use insane. He's not insane. He's very bright. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's together. But so he was obsessed and mm. passionate about doing everything he could to make sure we won in 211. Um, like the medical staff, what they did to help him get through that is, is amazing, really. 
Um, so I, you know, I think obviously you're going to have to have a, a base of talent. Yep. And you're playing international rugby, so you, it has to be fairly high base of talent. But I think um, that dedication and that desire to be the best is is massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And why do you why do you think New Zealand is so good at rugby? Oh well. It's our national sport, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if Australia didn't play Aussie rules and rugby league, they could probably be quite competitive. <laughs> uh, so, no, it's our national sport. It's part of our our upbringing, our yeah. heritage. Um, the black jersey is is highly respected, and the guys want to play in that jersey. Yeah. And um, and we've got. A good development pathway. I think there's some challenges right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our game is becoming more like American football, where only the pros play. Mm-hmm. It hasn't got that bad yet, but it's going that way. And I think we need to introduce other forms of the game to keep young people playing. Because I yeah. think it's well, they can play any sport. As long as they're playing team sport, I think they develop a lot of different characteristics which are positive. Mm-hmm. And their development as people, um, but I would I would introduce they've got sevens which is good, yeah. they've got fifteens which is good, maybe yeah. a tennis side yeah. amateur under eighty five international program, yeah, to keep I know and it can be something a wee bit different from that obviously, but just keep young people interested in having a pathway to play top level rugby. Mm, mm. If you talk to the Sri Lankans or the um, Taiwan people or the Koreans or any the Europe the Asians would be right into it. Yeah, I don't know about Europe, um, but they'll be fantastic, and I I think it'd keep a lot of young people in the game in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, just kind of switching it up, and I know you talked about it earlier in the conversation around mental health. Um, but I just really, I just want to hear your perspective on this being, you know, obviously an influential leader, not only in sports, but just in New Zealand in general. But what do you think, uh, why do you think, firstly, why do you think mental health is so taboo and almost swept under the rug? And it's been like that for a while in New Zealand. And why do you think it is so, it's just such a problem in New Zealand at the moment? Like, why do so many people suffer from depression and you know, we've got some of the highest suicide rates in, in the world. Obviously, it's a bit of a change in our conversation, but I just want to hear your perspective. Uh, there's no short answer to this question. Mm. <laughs> and my views may be, maybe not be right, but I think social media's got a lot to do with it. Yeah. So I think depression and, and, and um, people finding things difficult is... I think it's got a lot to do with social media. Yeah. When I was your age, when I was young, <laughs> there was no social media. Mm. Um, so I think how you control that is very important going forward. Yeah. Um, I don't think our kids are as active as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think playing sport helped them. And you lose playing sport occasionally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you have to handle disappointment yeah um, and I don't think a lot of these kids understand that that's part of life mm. disappointment failure is part of growing up and 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 
and being better. If you don't experience those things, um, how are you going to how are you going to get better? Yeah. Um, I was on TV re lately, recently, in Japan at the World Cup, and the question was asked: uh, How will the new All Blacks feel who haven't been to a World Cup? They were playing South Africa in the first game, and I said they'll be shitting themselves, hmm. which got some attention. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did actually. Yep. Now I said that because <clears throat> I wanted the young people of this country to know that's normal. Mm. Interesting. That's normal behaviour. You know, they, I probably should have used a more correct term. I think that's perfect. But I, well, I just wanted to make an impression to the young kids watching that shitting yourself is, is okay. Yeah. You know, being nervous and, and, and worrying about the game is normal behaviour. Mm, absolutely. Sitting exams and being nervous is normal behaviour. Yeah, yep. Definitely. Right? Playing for your local netball team and you're, you're nervous, as, like my grandkids, you know, they run cross country, they're nervous. Yeah. Why am I nervous? I, should, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be nervous. Mm. Yeah. It's part of life. Absolutely. And, and um, I think, I just don't know if young people understand that. Mm. They probably do, I'm probably just. No, I think you're bang on. I'm probably running away at the mouth here. Yeah. Um, and I think sport gives them that opportunity to experience those things and mm -hmm. grow from those things and and have good mates, you know, mm -hmm. and enjoy what they're doing. And I I wonder about the n number of young people doing that today is decreasing. You know, they're, they're playing less sport, looking at the screen more. Yeah, of course. And I wonder whether that's part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back to going back to the social media and you know sports and people being active and almost being a metaphor for life. Yeah, well, as I was saying, I, I I would employ a physical education teacher for four hundred primary school kids and get them active. Yeah. I don't know whether that's going to make a difference. I just yeah. feel it. You know, I think there's a huge connection between the physical and the mental. Yeah. Kids feeling good about themselves. Yeah. And um, you know, a lot of our and I'm not being critical. A lot of our primary school teachers are middle-aged women mm -hmm. who have got responsibilities at home mm -hmm. and you know at the end of the day they go home and look after their own kids mm -hmm. and I just think if they and it wouldn't cost the country much money to do that yeah but you drop in the bucket and I think it would help not only with the mental health but the physical health the yeah. obesity yeah all of those things so no, definitely. It is definitely a serious can issue. Can we change the world here in yeah. this little conversation? Yeah, we can. Change the world? Yeah, it all starts from conversations <laughs> like this. Yeah, but I, I agree. I don't even know because I just recently bought a house out in Piha and we didn't have internet for five days, seven days. And I actually felt great, came home as opposed to going on the screen. I had to connect with my kids and my wife and just oh, okay. have converse, actual conversations. And I, I think that's what a lot of people... Uh, you know, they're just, they're just conversing with each other through mm. screens, which is not natural. And you do feel like shit when you're just on a screen the whole time. So I think combining that with the physical is 100% bang yeah, on. Exactly. And it's actually, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. You don't need to always go and just take a pill or go see a psychiatrist. Well, you know, there's, there's so much research about the connection between the physical and the mental. Is yeah. You could... Yeah, yeah definitely. And do you... thousands of research research topics on that yeah um, been talked about for years yeah yeah they just need to make it happen absolutely and do you um, for players as well do you 
discourage them from going on social media leading up to big events or anything for that exact reason? Because um, I can see nowadays a lot of them are more active on social media. Oh yeah, yeah. Like social media's got its place, and and I'm sure they promote the game through social media and all of those things, which are all very positive. And the guys have probably got their own lives and businesses that they're involved in, and that's positive too. But we try and encourage them to avoid social media in the rugby sense. Yeah, individually their individual involvement in rugby and social mm -hmm. media. Because um, I don't, you know, I, I, when I was coaching, I didn't, unless we won by 100, mm -hmm. I didn't listen to the radio, didn't watch TV or didn't <laughs> read. And, like if we got beaten, I didn't watch any of that stuff. Yeah. So you control your own environment. Mm. I think younger people find that more difficult. Mm. Um, I just cut it out. If we won well, I'd read everything. Yeah, radio was going, TV was on. Yeah, shit was bloody good. But if it was a, it was a negative. Nah. Yeah. Cut it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does get inside you, and it does start to really affect you without even. It's you know, it's a little bit. It's a bit of a silent killer when you start letting all that into yeah. your world. So. Yeah. Um, Have we got much longer? Yeah, we probably got. I'll just. We can close up now. So, um, but just yeah, just closing question. Kind of looking back on your life. What would you give? What advice would you give to a twenty-five-year-old with you know big dreams and ambitions, but for some reason something's holding them back? What what advice would you give to this person to you know make something great of their life? Obviously, you said well, a I've, lot I've talked to I've talked to a few guys who want to be professional rugby coaches, and they look at me and I say, "Well, you got to go out and do that, don't you? Yeah, you got to go out and coach. Yeah, oh." That's a good idea. Yeah. So actually doing the bloody job yeah. is important. Taking action. Yeah, yeah, taking action. Make it happen. Do do what you want to do. Yeah. So I said to you before, you know, I think um, a lot of people in their first 20 years of life are preparing themselves for, for, for something, yeah. for some career. And they get to that point and then they they may go to a, an establishment which is not going to help them. Mm. They've wasted 20 years. Mm. I think it's very important to say, well, this is what I want to do, and who's going to give me the best chance for me to develop into something that I'm going to be proud of. Yeah. Um, so I think those decisions are however important. Mm. Yeah. Make it happen. Mm. Quite simple. Yeah. Just get off, yeah. get, get off, off the couch, just go do it. Yeah. 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 Pick your rocks. I love it. No, Lastly, there's, there's, there's no, there's no uh, not rocket science, is it? Yeah, absolutely not. Last question is who are you, who are you picking for the final for the World Cup? Well, as a draw is, I think the All Blacks will win. Mm -hmm. Just my gut feel. Yeah. I always think they're going to win, so that's not yeah. different. Um, and I think they'll probably play South Africa. Interesting, yeah. Uh, they'll, it looks at the moment they'll, they'll play um, Ireland. If Japan keep winning, mm -hmm. Ireland, uh, England, South Africa. Yeah. That'll be hmm. the, the finals. Interesting. Mm. Well, it's going to be, yeah, interesting. So I think they'll go through. I'll be surprised if they don't, but it's there's no guarantees. Yeah. And I would imagine that South Africa would be the other side. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, thank you so much for this. Really Pleasure. appreciate it. Got a Pleasure. lot from it. Awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot. All the best. Yeah.
Thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found any type of value, please subscribe to our podcast, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review on iTunes to be in the draw to win a $200 I Love Ugly gift voucher. We will be drawing a winner monthly. Good luck and see you on the next episode.